What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. This is your host, Dave Stovall, and we've been working our way through the track sessions from last year's forum, and this is the fourth and final track session given by the Bonhoeffer Project. We've got Stephen Kimbrell. He's the director of podcast production for Bonhoeffer, and suddenly I'm nervous to produce this episode. But uh, he gave a great speech about what happens if you make a disciple that never makes any other disciples. What would happen to the Christian movement if we never multiplied to the third and fourth generations? Stephen spends time talking about how to push past simply the knowledge of disciple making and into the application and implementation of disciple making in your setting. Because I know that each church is different. Some churches are on board with this, some are not. This is a great episode for you. It's going to encourage you. So let's jump in and hear from Stephen Kimbrell from the Bonhoeffer Project. Enjoy. My name is Sandy Mason. I'm from Phoenix, Arizona. Anybody been to Phoenix? Not in the summer though, right? Yeah. That's why it's hard to preach the gospel here, because hell is not intimidating. (laughs) But uh, I've ministered out there. I was born there, but the last 20 years I planted church and now I'm uh, part-time on the offer team and also do some mentoring of pastors. But uh, I like to hang out with people at this stage of my life for the real deal. I'm, uh, I've been liberated from the need to impress people or climb some ladder. And uh, the Bonhoeffer team or a bunch of folks are the real deal. Uh, no one's making any money to do this. We do it because we're passionate about making disciples. And uh, our presenter, this afternoon, Steve Kimbrell, not only is he cute, but uh, he's born in Alabama and now lives in Southern California, so his brain is had to divide in half to do that. You know, the cultures are very different. But Stephen is the real deal. He has planted a church in California, which is a tough area. He's in Irvine, which is a heavy tech engineer, really smart people, Asian folks, and yet the gospel's taking root, and uh, I hope you're going to tell him like, about Jasper or some of your folks, will you? Because yeah. uh, he's really doing it. So I'm delighted that you're getting to hear from Stephen on the whole issue of multiplication. So give a warm welcome to Steve Kimball. Thanks, man. Uh, there, there's nothing like being called cute by another man. So, uh, <laughs> man. That sets the tone. What's that? Sets the tone. You know, it's it's day two. It's the last session, and so that's just the kind of stuff that happens. And you guys are still here. This is this is awesome. This is the spiritual crowd. Anybody know somebody who's left? That's already on the road or asleep right now? Okay, text them and tell them they're the unspiritual crowd. And so, no, I'm glad you guys are here, and I'm looking forward uh, to this time. As he mentioned, my name is Stephen. I'm a part of the the Bonhoeffer uh, leadership team. Um, also in Southern California, uh, where are you guys from? Any, uh, let's see, Southerners, any Southerners in here? A few, okay, they don't care about multiplication, they're not here. Uh, Ohio, we had a lot of, okay, we still got the Ohio contingency. Then where else, where are we from? South Carolina. South Carolina, you're Southern, there we go, okay. East Tennessee. Indiana. East Tennessee. Tennessee. Did I hear California? Alabama. Alabama, roll tide. I saw you early. I knew I loved you. Okay. Um, yeah. And so, uh, yeah. So, been in, uh, grew up in Alabama, lived in North Carolina, been in California, Sandy said, for seven years. And let me just jump uh, right into it. I, w- I want to talk to us today about intentional multiplication. Uh, intentional multiplication. And I know this is the end of the conference. Uh, you've heard so many things. 
and just trying to figure out, okay, what can I, what can I say that will be a help, that will be an encouragement? And I realized, you, you guys, you've heard so much this week. It's probably not your first conference. And, and so I think we're all here to just kind of, we want to get a little bit better, just sharpen the saw just a little bit. And so hopefully I can add a few things today uh, that'll be a help to you. Uh, when we talk about multiplication today, uh, we're going to specifically focus in on kind of the mac or the micro versus the macro. Okay, so we're not talking church-wide, creating a multiplication culture. We're not talking multiplying groups, although I think there's some similar things that apply. But we're going down to the smallest level, okay? And we're talking about multiplying disciples. And the reality is, I think sometimes we get um, we get sidetracked and we start focusing on multiplying all these other things, okay? And, and we miss the boat on its multiplying disciples. And the reality is, you can multiply groups, you can even multiply churches and still not multiply disciples, okay? But I believe if you'll multiply disciples, then you'll get all of those other things. And so that's what we're going to focus on today. And I want to start with a story that I think will help set the table for our talk today. Um, as I mentioned, moved to California seven years ago and, you know, coming in with a Southern brain, there were a lot of things that were different and unique. Uh, but one of the things, and this is going to sound weird, but one of the things that stood out to me in the beginning was the donut shops in Southern California. And I don't know if you guys have ever been there, been to the donut shops. Um, first of all, there were a ton of donut shops. I mean, they are they are everywhere. They got more donut shops in Southern California than you guys have churches in the South. Okay. They are all over the place. So that was unique. And then I started going to these donut shops and, and I realized that they all, they all have the same recipe. Okay. Different name, different, you know, owners, same recipe. I mean, exact same donuts. The other thing that was the same was um, they were all owned by Cambodians. I'm serious. Every single one owned by Cambodians. And, and I'm like, okay, this, what's the connection here? And I remember I asked people um, in my church, asked people in the community, I said, hey, look, you know, I'm from the South. What, what's the deal with these donut shops? Same, you know, donuts, recipes, and then all owned Cam by Cambodians. And they were all like, well, is it not that way everywhere? I'm like, no. You know, have you ever been out of the state, the donut shop? And so it's just something that they accepted as just being the norm. It honestly was not until this year, and somebody asked me, said, hey, have you seen uh, that there's a, there's a documentary on Hulu called The Donut King? Anybody seen that? Okay, check it out. I'm going to spoil it for you, but check it out. It's still good. Um, they said, go watch that movie. And so I, I found The Donut King on, on Hulu, and I started watching it, and it tells a story uh, of this guy right here. His name's Ted Noy. And the whole thing's telling his story. And it goes back into the uh, 70s when there was this civil war in Cambodia. And so there's this big civil war going on. Communism is coming in. And so all of these refugees are fleeing. Lots of them come to the United States. And, and the refugees in the United States, lots of them in California. And Ted and his family were part of that group. They come to California. They land at Camp Pendleton, which is, if you've ever been there, is in Southern California, right on the five. And so they land there. Well, the deal was um, you could not immigrate into America until you had a sponsor. So they have to stay on the base. And so he and his family are there. And the cool thing about the story was, it's not a Christian story, but the cool thing is there was a pastor and a church in the town next to Irvine, where I live, called Tustin, California. And I think it was a, a Presbyterian church that said, you know what, we will sponsor this family to come and we'll, we'll, we'll pay them a salary. They can live in our church. 
So they came, they lived in the church. He became uh, the janitor for the church. And, and so that's how he got into America. Well, then eventually he realizes, okay, I need to do something else besides be a janitor. And so he goes and he works for a donut shop. And so he learns how to make donuts. Well, he's got higher aspirations of that. So he saves up his money and then he buys a donut shop. And then he keeps working, he keeps grinding, and he thinks, you know what, I want to buy another donut shop. The only problem is he didn't have anybody to work in that donut shop. His mind goes back, you know what, I've got a lot of Cambodian family and friends who are trying to get over. And so he and his wife sponsor a family to come over, they live with them, they teach them how to make donuts, and then they help them get started on a donut shop. And then they do it again. They bring over more Cambodians and they teach them how to make donuts. They live with them and then they give them a donut shop. And he does this over and over and over and over. And he does it over a hundred times. A hundred times. A hundred families that he sponsored to come into the United States and taught them how to make donuts and all this kind of stuff. Um, so here, here's, I'm going to fast forward to the end of it, okay? Because this is the cool part. They did a recent study in California to find out how many donut shops, first of all, there were. They found that there's 5,000 independently owned donut shops, okay? So not Duncan, all right? Which is crazy. Duncan tried to move into the state in the 90s and they couldn't make it. They couldn't make it because of these guys, and they just left, and now they're starting to trickle back. But there are 5,000 independently owned donut shops. 4,000 of them are Cambodian-owned and trace their roots back to this guy. 4,000. Are you kidding me? I'm watching this, and I'm going, this explains it. And they said, literally, they all have the same recipe. It's his recipe. This pink box was his pink box because it was cheaper, and now it's the staple. And every donut shop uses that pink box. And whether they know him or not, yes, sir? I can't believe it. They just opened one two minutes from my house. Really? Yeah. I went in there and said, who are you? And it was Cambodians. There you go. So now i got to ask him about It's spreading. Ask him about Uncle Ted. That's what they call him. So thank you, Sandy. And that wasn't planned. Thank you for the interaction there. Okay. Let, let me get to the... Here's my point. I watched that as a, as a church planner and a, you know, a disciple maker. And I said, this is some crazy multiplication, okay? Crazy multiplication over the last 40, 50 years. One guy, 4,000 donut shops. And here's where my mind goes, okay? If a guy can do that, he's an immigrant in our country and can start a business that goes to 4,000 donut shops, and he doesn't have the Holy Spirit of God living in him. What can a follower of Jesus Christ do with the Holy Spirit of God living on mission? This is the kind of multiplication that over a span of time, over a span of time that God can do. And I think that's the kind of thing that excites us about multiplication. Okay, so um, I've got us all thinking and excited about multiplication, but here's where I want to start, okay? Um, intentional multiplication, but I want to start with realistic expectations of multiplication. Um, And I want to start here because like the story I just told, that's where most of us start with our thinking on multiplication. Like, man, it's exciting and it can go far and it can go fast and it can get out of control. And we, you know, all of us have heard and all of us have used that, um, that, you know, that question of what would you rather have a penny a day or would you rather have yeah a penny a day and double it every day or have a million dollars, right? You guys have heard that. 
And the thing is, once you do the math, you know, it's crazy. It's like a gazillion dollars if you take a penny a day for 30 days. And so we hear that and that concept is exciting. It's energizing. And the reality is we probably have all done our disciple making plans. We've drawn our grids, our disciple making tree, and we figured out how to reach our city in six years or less. Right. Or our state, depending on where you live. Because in our minds, like, man, this will happen, and this will happen, and this guy multiply, and he'll disciple five, and he'll disciple ten, and it's just going to... And that's kind of how our minds work. And, and it kind of, you know, in our minds, this is, you know, we've got it down, and this is what it looks like. It's nice, and it's clean, and it multiplies, and give us a few years, and we'll reach our entire city. Um, but here's what I found. When... Our expectations of multiplication exceed reality. We're setting ourselves up for disappointment, for discouragement, and quitting. Some of you know people that have already gone down this disciple-making road and have turned back because it didn't grow their church fast enough. It didn't grow their ministry fast enough. They got disappointed with it. And so here's what I want to do. I don't want to be the guy at the end of the conference that throws a wet blanket on everything that we've heard, okay? I don't want to be that guy. I know some of you are like, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah. But... I do want to give us proper expectations so that we stay in the game, okay? And we know as we're doing this, hey, it's okay. It's okay the pace we're going. So let me give us just a few things to get us started, and then we'll get to kind of the how of uh, multiplication. So number one, multiplication is messy. How many of you knew that? It's messy. Um, Your D groups are finishing up, right? It's time to multiply. But the one guy in the D group, uh, he just doesn't want to do D groups anymore, right? The other guy's having marriage problems, and so he, he can't be in the D groups. And another guy is, you know, just moves away, or girl. And they, they move away. And so now you're down to one, and you thought you were going to have, you know, four people multiply and, and lead D groups, and you just, you got one guy who's, who needs to co-lead with somebody because he's not ready. Anybody ever been there? Okay. And all of a sudden, you know, it's not this anymore. Right. And some of you, you like to stay on track, don't you? And you've got your calendar and and that reality and mess just came in and it messed up your plan. Your nice, clean multiplication diagram is jacked up because multiplication on paper is clean. But in reality, it's messy. And you're going to have some people that, you know what, they just don't multiply in the time frame that you want them to multiply. It takes them five years before they multiply one instead of one year. And then you've got other people that just, they multiply like crazy. And here's the point I'm getting at. It, it's, it's messy. It's, it's asymmetrical, okay? It doesn't look like the clean thing. You've got pockets over here where it's going crazy and pockets over here where you're like, God, what are we doing? Are we failing at this? It's messy. Number two, it's slow. It's slow. How many of you are discouraged now? Good, Okay. <laughs> I think this is the major stumbling block for most people. Um, They start doing it and they realize it's slower than they thought it was going to be. Your plan to go from atheist to missionary in six months is just not not panning out, right? Um, can, Can I share something that I think, I hope this encourages you. This encouraged me, okay? Because sometimes I look around and go, Man, I thought it would be, you know, I thought we'd be at X number of disciples by now. And it's not where I thought it would be. You know, the time in Christian history that was the fastest growing time in Christianity where Christianity expanded the most. When was that? Those early years, right? Some of you like the 90s. No, no, no. It's, you got to go way back. OK, church growth movement. No, 
Worldwide, it was those early years. It was from the time, the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension until about A.D. 350. Fastest growing time in Christianity's history. Uh, depending on who you read behind, they went from somewhere around 300 followers of Jesus on that hillside, watching him ascend into heaven, to 350 years later, largest religion in the Roman Empire, 34 million people. Now, how many of you think that's some crazy multiplication? From... 300 to 34 million, and it is, and I don't want to take away from that, but I think sometimes we hear that, and when I heard that, I thought, yeah, man, what is that like? That's like 400% every, you know, every decade, or is it more than that? How, how many, you know, were these people winning 25 people to Jesus every day? You go back, and if you actually do the math on it, you know what it comes out to be? It's 40% growth every decade. 40% growth a decade. If you break that down, I know there's some wiggle room in there, but it's about 4% a year. Now, let me ask you, does that sound impressive? And some of you are doubting me. Go do the math, okay? Check it out. 4% growth. Now, it's net growth, okay? 4% net growth a year, 40% over a decade. Um, what do we take from this? Here's what I take. Multiplication is slow. Real, real multiplication. I'm not talking church growth, okay, because there's a difference. Real multiplication is slow. Thirdly, before we move on, multiplication is difficult. 2 Timothy 2, verse 1, it says this. Paul says, you then, speaking of Timothy, oh, we got it. there we go, okay. You then, my child, be strengthened. Be strengthened, why? Because it's going to be hard yes. by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me, you guys know this, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust, put in their confidence, entrust this to them, to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Okay, multiply, Timothy. And then what does he say in verse three? Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Then another analogy, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Timothy, be strengthened by the grace of Jesus in making disciples and multiplying this. And he says, Timothy, you're going to need the dedication of a soldier, the discipline of an athlete, and the patience of a farmer. So many times we separate that from the passage, the context that it's in. And Paul's saying to Timothy, dude, this is going to be hard. And you need some strength from Jesus to do what you need to do. Disciple making is hard. And here's the thing, why, why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't multiplication be? Because we're not, we're not talking about building a multi-level marketing plan. Okay, well, That's not what we're talking about. That's hard in and of itself. We're talking about um, helping people change their worldviews, their addictions be broken, their families rebuilt, their idols torn down, identities defined. Multiplication is difficult. Okay, hopefully you're not completely discouraged, but the goal is when you get out there, and I, think, I don't think Jesus hid it from his guys, okay? I think this is what helped the disciples to know, guys, you're going to get out there, it's going to be tough. Yes. And so when it was tough, they didn't go, well, dog, I thought it was going to be easy, right? They knew it was going to be tough. They weren't surprised by it. And so proper expectations. Um, so here's the question, why in the world would you multiply? 
If it's so hard, right? Just grow a church. That's easier. Addition is so much easier than multiplication. So why would you multiply? And I think, number one, we know this, and I'm not going to re-preach this whole thing because it's the command, right? You've heard it this week, Matthew 28, 1 Timothy 2, 2. Um, and the command doesn't stop. The command doesn't stop with a disciple made, but with a disciple who is multiplying. Um, I love this quote from, from Bill. Discipleship is not biblical without an emphasis on multiplication. This is sometimes where we stop. Whew, we got our people discipled, right? Multiplic- them multiplying is a part of their discipleship. It is a part. If they don't multiply, then they haven't been fully discipled to maturity. This is what Bobby said. If our vision of discipleship stops with the disciple, it falls short of the example that Jesus left for us. Authentic discipleship repeats itself where the disciple becomes a disciple maker, reproducing the discipleship process. So it's the command. But then number two, it's it's powerful. It's powerful. Um, I, I called Bill Hall, our founder, last week, and I said, Bill, I'm talking about multiplication. He said, ooh. And I was like, what does that mean, you know? <laughs> and he was basically like, don't blow it. And I said, okay, I'll try not to. And so, you know, Bill's been doing this thing a lot longer than me. And so I said, Bill, I just want to bounce some of my talk off of you and see if I'm, I'm going in the right direction. And I just bounced some of these ideas off of him about it being slow and about it being hard, but about it being powerful over the long term. And he said, Stephen, he said, here's what I've witnessed in 50, 60 years of you know, life and ministry and following Jesus. And he said, um, most of the guys and the girls that had done this, okay, the people that don't just talk about it, but have really done it. He said, what they've done is he said, they just put their head down and they've worked and they've made disciples and they multiplied and did the same things over and over and they didn't get sidetracked by shiny objects and they just did it and they did it and they did it and they did it. And 40, 50 years down the road, they looked up and they were like, whoa, there's a lot of disciples that have been multiplied. And he said, and the reality is most of them couldn't give you an exact method or way that they did it, but they just know that they they were supposed to make disciples. And so they did it consistently. And at the end of their life, the multiplication was phenomenal. And he said, and then that's when the groups come in and go, what was the secret? What was the secret? Come on, give us the silver bullet of how. And they don't even know how. They just put their head down and they did it over and over and over. It's a compound interest effect, isn't it? It, compound interest is the most boring thing in the world in short term, isn't it? I've got a 13-year-old, and right now, oh my, we're trying to disciple her in finances. And let me tell you, she wants to be discipled on how to make money, okay? But, and, and she hears me talk about the stock market. And she's like, Daddy, can I get some stock? And I'm like, yeah, okay, how much you got? You know, oh, I got 10 bucks, okay? She's like, how much is that going to be in three months? I'm like, well, right now it may be eight bucks in three months, okay, if we're being real. Uh, I'm like, oh, baby, you can't think like that, okay? You can't think like that because it's a long term. And right now she can't see the long term, okay? But for a person that can see the long term, man, if you can take 100 bucks a month and invest it for 45 years, guess what? You retire a millionaire because that's the power of compound interest. And that is really how multiplication in discipleship works. It's over a lifetime. Okay, so... We've got kind of, all right, what, what do we expect in multiplication? And we see, okay, why do we do it? Let me get to kind of some principles 
of multiplication. Okay, so I'll give you five principles, and then uh, you know we'll ask some questions. If I don't know the answer, I'll make them up, and you know we'll, it's what we do with these things, right? Just act like you know. Um, no. So principles of multiplication. Number one, start upstream with the gospel. If you've been in any of our sessions um, this week or familiar with the Bonhoeffer Project, you know what we mean uh, by this. If not, um, check us out online and you'll find out. But um, I'm not going to spend too much time here, but it is worth saying this. The gospel you proclaim determines the disciple you produce. gospel you proclaim determines the disciple you produce. Or you could say it this way. The gospel that you believe determines the disciple that you become. As long as the person you're discipling believes a gospel that makes following Jesus that makes following Jesus optional, if that's what they signed up for, they will never multiply. It's too hard. It's too difficult. There's no incentive. They will never multiply. They'll lack the drive, the commitment that it takes. Bill Hall says, non-discipleship gospels may be advanced through various powerful forms of media, but they won't multiply and transform lives of disciples who make still more disciples. If we're going to see disciples multiply, we have to go upstream and help them rebuild what they believe about the gospel. Let me, I think this may be easier to illustrate than it is to explain. Um, last week, well, let me go back further than that. Two months ago, there's a guy in my church that another guy is investing in, okay? Um, they're both Asian men, and one's been saved for five years, one's been saved for about, I'd say, three and a half years, okay? The guy that's been saved for five years is a little further down that track, and he's just picked up things quicker, okay? And it's just growing, and it's multiplying. He's got a desire to reach men and, and to disciple them, okay? His name's Ed. And Ed has been in, investing um, in another guy in our church named James. Okay, and Ed's investing in James. James is a dentist, and he's been um, he's been growing and understanding how God wants him to use everything he has for the mission and all those kind of things. So, just a, a, a couple months ago, Ed really kind of pressed on him about tithing, which is so cool when it doesn't come from the pastor, right? And somebody else is like, "Dude, you're not tithing. What are you doing? You got to start tithing." Okay. Now the pastor appreciates that. It's like, "Whoa, what happened?" You know, here with James, and he started tithing. I mean, like really tithing, and he did it for two months. And then last week, the owner of his uh, the building that his dentist office is in came to him and said, "Look, I know you got a seven year lease, but I'm selling the building in two years, and you're going to have to find somewhere else to go." And he was upset. Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? You know, and he, and he meets with Ed, and here's the first thing out of his mouth. I start tithing for two months, and this is what God lets happen to me? What? Meanwhile, he's texting me and saying, you know, asking me about stuff. And here's the great thing about Ed has picked up on uh, some of this stuff we talked about with the gospel, and he's talking to him. He's trying to be kind and not blow him out of the water. And finally, he looks at him, and he says, listen, I think you kind of have a prosperity gospel. He's like, what? He said, it sounds to me like you have a contract that you're going to do this and you'll give money as long as Jesus takes care of you financially and doesn't let anything bad happen to you. Now, please understand, this is going to be a ongoing conversation, right? It didn't get solved at one time, but that seed has been planted. I'm going to reinforce it and there's other guys that are going to reinforce it. And here's the deal. Right now, James is not ready to multiply. 
because he's still stuck on an alternative gospel. He truly believes in Jesus, but he's attached a few things to it with Jesus, right? And we're trying to work with him upstream to make sure he gets to the point of believing a kingdom gospel where he's going to follow and he's going to sacrifice for Jesus no matter what. And so, number one, did I get to it? There we go. Start upstream with the gospel. Number two, cast a vision for a disciple-making identity early and often. Early and often. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will what? Make you fishers of men. What's Jesus doing there? I mean, we know he'd met these guys before this, and they were familiar with him. But this is early on in the relationship, and he's casting vision for them from the outset. He's casting an identity-based vision of them becoming disciple-makers. Now, we look at that and say, whoa, that's way too early to cast that out and say, hey, dude, I know you just started, you know, you don't even know who I am yet, but you're going to be disciple-makers. You're going to be fishers of men. But Jesus was planting those seeds of multiplication early on. And he did it often. He used words like fishers of men. He used laborers. He talked about, you'll be my witnesses. And, and I think he, he used these identity words on purpose. He didn't just say, you're going to do these tasks. He said, you're going to be these things. You're going to be fishers of men. You're going to be my witnesses. Why do you do that? Because there's a difference in, how many of you understand delegation? There's a difference in you delegating task and you delegating authority and identity, right? When, uh, when people on your, in, in your church that are on the, the hospitality team or the greeter team, right? There's something that happens, okay? People that are shy and will never talk to anyone, when, when they come in and they put on a badge and it says greeter, all of a sudden they're like, Right? And they don't feel weird. And they go up to people, hi, I'm on the hospitality team and I'm a greeter. Blah, 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 blah. Why? Because they have an identity. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I think that's what Jesus was doing with these guys. He knew they'd let tasks go. But if they knew this is my identity, I am a disciple maker, that they would own it and that they would live it out. And if our people are going to multiply it, Here's where we mess up. And I've, I've done that. I'm speaking from failure, okay? I'm, not, I'm speaking from failure. Sometimes we spring it on them at the end, right? You know, maybe it's a D group or whatever group, and we're like, oh, by the way, you're going to multiply. And they're like, whoa, wait, what? But when we say it in the beginning and they hear it all throughout, it's different. There's a guy I'll show you at the end named Jasper. He was saved for maybe two months. And I could, there was just something I could see in him. And it, we weren't in a D group meeting. We were just out for coffee. And I'm like, dude, I said, look, I'm going to tell you this. It's going to freak you out. But you're going to be a bridge to a lot of people for the gospel. And he was like, uh -huh. He brought, that was four and a half years ago. He brought that up to me about three months ago. He said, do you remember saying that? I said, yeah. He said, that scared me to death. And I thought, you're crazy. And I'll get to, he's doing that now. But cast that vision early and often for identity. Number three. Lead disciples to be others-focused. Lead them to be others-focused. A disciple who's focused on self cannot multiply. There's not enough energy and time to go around in their life for them to reproduce. It takes time and energy to reproduce. If they're focused on themselves, no multiplication. Matthew 16, 24, and 25. Then, let's see. There we go. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him what? 
deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For if you'll save your life, you'll lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says some hardcore stuff, y'all. You realize that? Like, who leads with this? Jesus did. In discipleship, we're not leading people to become better versions of themselves. We're not. I love what Alice said in there. It's not just counseling. We're not trying to help them become better. We're, we're not leading them to add another trophy to their trophy case of self-improvement. We're leading them to die to self. How many of you realize we don't die easy? We don't. We're leading them to die to self and become others-focused. By the way, that's, that's a sign of maturity. Dying to self, becoming selfless, loving other people. Man, how many of you, you, I'm sure you've seen this, guy, girl come in your church and they are the theological brain, right? Uh, I'm just going to tell you, as a pastor, first Sunday, you walk into my church and you start asking me about, you know, what what are my beliefs about the end times? Like, you've been marked, okay? I'm just going to, I'm being real. I'm like, okay, here we go. Um, like, Like, we're going deep quickly, okay? Like, we just, this is our first date and you're trying to, you know, get to third base. We're not going there, all right? And so here's the th- some. Uh, sorry, that was bad reference. <laughs> I've been in California, y'all. Okay, all right. I gotta be sanitized when I come back to the south. Anyway, um, so, but here's my point. Sometimes we equate knowledge with maturity. That's not. That's not maturity. It's like the guy in my my church that I grew up with that studied King Griffey Jr. and knew all of his stats. And he studied his baseball swing and he could imitate it. And it looked just like King Griffey Jr. But he never played baseball. Wow. I remember asking my dad, like, oh, dad, is he good? He's like, no, he didn't play. But some, there's some Christians and that's what the world they want to live in, right? That's not maturity. They don't love people. They don't like people. They don't get along with people. That's not maturity. We are discipling people to be selfless and to be people who love other people. And until we get them there, it's hard to multiply. Um, Bill says in Conversion and Discipleship, it's popular in some small groups to ask the question, how are you doing? That's a perfectly reasonable question to ask, but the kind of discipleship that God desires doesn't end with the disciples' own lives. It extends into how they are living for others. So we should be asking, how are you doing love of the people God has put in your life? And we don't need to go looking for new people to love We just need to start really loving the ones that God has already given us. And if we start with them, we will soon be inundated with people God will draw into our lives. Um, It's one of the reasons, personally, in in our our groups, uh, which are not D groups, but kind of a different version that we do, one of the things we focus on is is loving their spouse. We give homework, okay? There's homework that they have to go home and do and come back and report on why. I think it's kind of Jesus' model. Hey, go out and do this and come back and let's talk about it. Because if, if our guys and our girls, if they can't love their spouse and they can't love their kids, they're probably not ready to love other disciples, right? So help them get beyond themselves. Number four, help disciples commit to a mission, not a method. You've heard this before. Methods change. The mission remains the same, right? And I'm going to make somebody mad with this statement. So just go ahead and get ready. Um, your loyalty and your disciples' loyalty can't be to D groups. I'm not just going to pick on D groups. Can't be to triads. Or whatever else you, you want to call them. 
Okay? And here's, I'm kind of sensing that, kind of just based on conversations, that that's what's happening. Okay? That we're building a loyalty to another method. Now, it's a newer method. It's not Sunday school. Okay? It's a newer method. And, and here's what, you know, I hear guys all the time, like, you know, how's, you know, how are you doing with making disciples in your church? Oh, D groups are going fantastic. Yeah. Oh, gangbusters. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, how, how are, you know, disciples being, oh, D groups. And I'm like, look, I don't have anything against Ravigality and D groups, okay? So don't leave here and post that on Twitter. Um, but the question is not, are we doing groups well? The question is, are we making disciples? And, and, and you know, I'm not a prophet, but here's my fear. My fear is in 10 to 20 years, we're going to have a bunch of old Christians that love D groups. Love D groups. And the pastor's going to come along and the pastor's going to be talking about making disciples and the pastor's going to implement something different because culture has changed or the context has changed. And we're going to have a bunch of angry Christians fighting at the pastor saying he doesn't love Jesus and doesn't want to make disciples. Does that sound familiar? Because we fought those battles on other things. We, we fall in love with the method, not the mission. And, and, and we've got to teach our disciples. We're following in love with Jesus and the mission, not the method. Because the reality is, I want my disciples to make disciples outside of groups. Amen? Yes. Well, let me say that again, because that wasn't good, okay? <laughs> I want my disciples to make disciples outside of their groups. Amen? Amen? Um, if you've ever read a guy by the name of Jocko Willink, um, he's a, a leadership guy, uh, former Navy SEAL, so just, I mean, just an awesome, awesome dude. And uh, he, um, he, he writes about the importance of mission a lot. And more specifically, he talks about what's called the commander's intent in the mission. You ever heard that? And he talked about it as a Navy SEAL. He said the most important thing is to make sure that every one of those Navy SEALs, not only did they understand the mission and how we were going to execute the mission, but he said we got to understand what was the commander's intent in the mission. And he defines it this way. He says, this defines what and why, the what and the why of the mission, not the how. By giving clarity on what the goal of the mission is, the commander's intent allows the mission leaders to make a plan based on their team strengths and the realities on the ground. Here's what he is saying. He's saying when you're a Navy SEAL, you got a mission and you have a plan. When you get there, what happens on the battlefield sometimes? The plan goes sideways, right? Anybody remember Mike Tyson's favorite quote on that? He said, everybody got a plan till they get punched in the face. <laughs> right? And that's true. You got a plan in that ring, you get punched in the face, and all of a sudden, whoa, we need a new plan. And, and here's what I'm saying. We want disciples that are not committed to a method. But they are so committed to the, 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 the master or the commander's intent of the mission that they will make disciples no matter what. Whether they are in a D group, whether they are at work, whether they are at home, whether they are in their neighborhood, they will make disciples. Because disciple making can't be contained to a church on Sunday. It can't be contained to a D group on Wednesday night. Amen? Amen. It's 24-7. And so making sure they're falling in love with the mission, not the method. Number five, and we're done. Number five, there we go. Disciple your disciple as they multiply. I think sometimes this is where we drop. I know I've dropped the ball here, and I've blown this multiple times, especially early on. I'm like, all right, I did it with you. Now go, go, go do it. 
And you find out later they're not discipling anyone. Um, Jesus discipled his disciples in multiplication. You think about it. When they're with him, he's sending them out on mission, right? Two by two. Okay, guys, go out. Now come back. Let's talk about it. Oh, you totally blew that, right? Go out and do it again and come back. And, you know, the, the guys are trying to cast the demon out of the guy. Oh, guys, what are you doing? Come on. You got to have faith. Oh, that's what we're missing, you know? And it, But what was it? He was walking with them in this stuff. He gave them on-the-job training. The ability to, to fail and to struggle. And, and, and sometimes we try to make it too clean for our disciples. They, they have to get in the mess too and, and to feel it. And, and, and Jesus walked with them through this. This is what Paul was doing with Timothy. Timothy, come on, man. Come on. You, you got this stuff I gave you, but now you got these guys in your church. Give it to them, Timothy. Come on. I'm going to check in on you. I'm going to be hard on you. Disciple your disciples as they multiply. Let me, let me close with this story, okay? We're about out of time. Um, this is the guy, uh, Jasper, that I mentioned earlier. And um, Jasper it, it moved from China four and a half, four and a half, five years ago now at this point. Um, he moved from China. I should have saved this picture for you because you know the end result now. But he, he moved from China. He was an atheist. Um, his wife was a believer. And um, she when they came to to uh, America, she said, okay, the first Sunday we're there, I'm going to church because they had shut down her church in China two and a half years earlier. And so they, they land on a Friday, okay? They come to our church, they walk to our church because we're the closest um, on a Sunday. And so they're still jet lagged, rolling to church. And, you know, our church family just loves them and begins a relationship with them. And so she's a believer, he's not. They keep coming to church. Um, she sits in the service, Jasper goes in the nursery. Because they have a one-year-old kid, and he's like, ah, I don't like this church stuff, so I'll go in here with him. He goes in the nursery. Uh, they start coming to a, a small group at my house. Uh, our kids go in our garage during the time the adults meet, and Jasper goes in the garage with his kid. Like, seriously. I mean, it was very open. Like, I, I don't want any of this Christian stuff. And super nice guy, but not interested at all. Um, over time, uh, Jasper began to get interested. And one of the things he's told me since is he said, you know, I wanted to find out how you were brainwashing people. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, it's we learned that in seminary. It takes a long time to get that down, but uh, a lot of courses. And so Jasper comes out of the nursery. I'll never forget the first Sunday I look back there. I'm like, oh, he's in here. OK. And he just kept coming in, and then he moved out of the garage, and he came in our Bible study. And eventually he came to me one day after church, and he goes, okay, I'm not interested, but I do have questions. All right, whatever you want to call it. We'll talk, right? So we meet for coffee, and uh, you know we meet over and over and over, and there's questions, and there's questions, and there's questions, and you know, read this, and think about this. And over time, over about six months, I saw the gospel Peel Jasper back like a, in layers, like an onion. And I saw the scales fall from his eyes. And, and, and I'm telling you, that's the best thing in the world, isn't it? Yes, to see that and, and to see a guy. I, the best thing was when he goes, wait a second. So you Christians believe that Jesus physically rose? It wasn't just this spiritual ghost going into heaven thing? And I said, yeah. And he goes, ooh, this is a game changer. I need to check this out. I'm like, bro, it is. <laughs> and uh, we, we, we're in our small group one night in my house. And, and here, the crazy part is, I wasn't even there. I, I, I went to this thing and I got there late and they told me about it. And I walk in, they're like, Jasper just announced that he's a follower of Jesus. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you didn't tell me first. You just told the group. And, and so, 
And so since that time, he's just been one of those guys that has just been hungry for more and more and more and more. And, and it's been so cool. We, we uh, were able to do a wedding in their backyard with him and his wife. Uh, they'd been married in China, but they wanted a Christian wedding. Um, their kids are growing up hearing about Jesus. He told me, he said, Pastor, he said, I can trace our lineage 20, I think it was 24 generations back. It's crazy. And he said, as far as I know, we're the first Christians. Like, Come on. And but here's the cool thing. Jasper didn't stop there. He came to me about two years ago, two and a half years ago, I guess it was pre-COVID and said, hey, I teach English as a second language. He's got a great grasp on it. What if I what if I use this in our community? And we've got a 47 percent Asian in our community. And he said, what if I use ESL teaching people English and I use that to couple it with the gospel? And I'm like, I don't even have to pray about that. Like, Let's do it. <laughs> And it's so cool. Uh, yesterday, I was on the phone with a, a girl who got saved in that ministry and is now one of his disciples calling and asking about something. And then uh, I'll shut up in a second. But I want to show you this picture. This was, uh, well, hang on, hang on. So last October, I said, uh, Jasper, I said, man, you need to lead a small group. I'm telling you, like, I just I just think it's time. Pastor, I don't know. Yep, you do. And he started leading a small group then, and it's expanded. It's It's got a ton of Asian new believers. And then he's got, I don't know how many of his neighbors who are not even believers, but they're coming over to the house. You got one family coming, and she, the reason they're coming is she said, I saw a white person come in your house. What were they doing there? And he said, well, we're studying the Bible, and you want to come hang out with them? She's like, yeah. And so she comes over, and so whatever gets them there, right? Uh, but this is his small group. This was taken last week. And this is a small group meeting in his house in Irvine, California. That's not even his entire group. Here's the reason I, I show this, okay? This is one disciple that is making disciples. This lady here, her and her husband are, are going through a divorce. And several weeks ago, Jasper and his wife, I found out after the fact, they're over at their house until 1 a.m. in the morning. And they're giving me the debrief later. And I'm like, you know, most times, why didn't you call the pastor, right? And I said, Jasper, what, who told you to do that? Oh, I don't know, pastor. I just felt like that's what God wanted us to do. But man, when you get somebody who says, okay, I know what the mission is. I know who I'm following and I know what the mission is. You get to a point where I'm not even training this guy anymore. I'm just supplementing him, right? And that's, that's what we're going for. That's a multiplication. And everybody doesn't do that, right? But praise God for the ones who do. And when it starts going and it gets beyond you, and they're just telling you stories and they're reporting back on what God's doing. Like that's, that's what we're after. And so, guys, I, I just close with this. It's hard. It's slow. It's messy. But man, it is powerful. It is worth it. And God will use it in the long run to make a major difference in our world. Okay? Thank you guys for listening to me. I talked way too much and way too long. But... um. Maybe we got what? Maybe five minutes for questions. Do we have you? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. I don't know if there's somebody in here that needs to hear this. I will be 63 years old this year. My husband and I got married when I was 15. He was 17. We're still married. We started going to church. We carried our kids. We realized within the last year we have never been discipled. Mm. We have gone to Sunday school. We have gone to visitation. I have sung in the choir. I have taught Sunday school. He has been an executive pastor. He has been a youth minister. We have never been disciples. Don't fail 
your church. Don't fail your children. Don't let them get to a point in their life where they're saying, Lord, how have we missed this? How have we missed? I mean, I can share my testimony. I can listen to people in small groups who share that they're hurting. I don't know what to do with it, mm. other than say, like they always did, we'll pray for you. But there was never anybody mm. to give you the example of, let's get the Bible out and let's see what God says. Yeah, yeah. So please take to heart. If you, even if you don't do the Bonifer Project, don't fail. Well, now children. don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, commit to the method, not the. Sharing the gospel and teaching other people how to do that. Come on, we'll sign her up. We'll sign her up. Do you want to do a question or go straight to the. Yeah, we need probably need to land the plane. Yeah, let's land the plane. There we go. So, what is Vaughn's project? Thank you for the transition. Um, and actually, the multiplication is what we're about. Can you stand up? Turn around. Look at the back of your shirt. So the X on our branding stands for multiplication. And so if that's not a part of what we do in making disciples, we're really not making disciples. That's what Stephen quoted Bill saying earlier. What is the Bonhoeffer Project? Our vision is this world revolution through local movements of disciple making as we turn leaders into disciple makers. We're a leadership ministry, okay? Uh, we're not helping you get into a personal discipleship group or anything like that. We train leaders to walk with Jesus, understand the theology of discipleship, and then create a, a plan for your context. We don't tell you what to do. We work with you to help create a plan to make disciples wherever you are. Uh, like Sandy said earlier, all of us have other jobs. I'm a senior pastor. He's a senior pastor. He's a retired senior pastor. Cindy works in a college. Dan, what does Dan do? Does Dan do anything? Dan, Dan's a senior pastor. Yeah, um, we do. Kenny's a senior pastor. So we, we do. We're in the local church. But we love because what God's done in our lives, what he's doing among us, we want to replicate that and multiply that in the lives of other churches. Okay, How does that work? We have cohort, a cohort system. We have six to ten ministry leaders. The uh, prerequisite for you to be in a cohort is that you have a ministry context Okay, where you can craft a plan and work that plan. Does that mean you have to be a pastor or a minister to be able to do this? No. We have had several lay people that have come through, but they've had a context. We have a guy in uh, Gainesville, Florida. Yes, gators can be Christians. <laughs> I didn't believe that at one point in my life. Um, but we have a guy in Gainesville, Florida, who's a pharmacist. Went through the Bonhoeffer Project. And God gave him a passion to reach other businessmen and disciple them. And has, I don't know, how many, how many small groups? About 90. 90 small groups around the Gainesville area now of businessmen and women who are involved in discipling relationships because of this layman who had a vision, God's vision, for making disciples in his context, okay? Uh, majority of the people that are involved in the Bonhoeffer Project are pastors and ministry leaders, uh, missions leaders, uh, network leaders, those type of things, so that they have uh, exponential multiplication because of the system that they're already in, which is incredible, incredible. So six to 10 in a cohort meet for 10 months. We uh, walk through 10 different sessions. We have some sheets over here that you can pick up. These are the 10 different sessions. We start upstream with the gospel. Then we move to midstream, where most ministries usually start. What is a disciple? What's your curriculum, right? We go way upstream and say, what is scripture? What is the gospel? What does salvation mean? 
And then all of that plays into the language that we create so that when we get midstream, we're actually making what we're proclaiming to make in Disciples for Jesus. Okay? So, 10 months, 10 different sessions. You can pick up those sheets over there. And um, we just, we're launching this week uh, follow-up coaching uh, for those uh, organizations and ministries that have walked through the Bonhoeffer Project. Um, and so if you walk through the Bonhoeffer Project and need help in implementation, we have coaching that's available. In fact, I just ran into uh, several guys who I, I went with a whole staff of a, a church in Dallas-Fort Worth uh, through the Bonhoeffer Project. And now they're asking about some coaching on the back end for implementation's sake. Exactly, and multiplication as well, but implementation of their plan in their ministry. They've had some staff turnover. And so now how do we get the new staff members on board with the vision that we put in place with the Bonhoeffer Project. And so we're going to start working with them as well. Okay. And uh, we just la uh, launched Bonhoeffer Press. So we have both books. And we're, again, this is not about selling product. That's not what we're about. We're about process. But we do want to supplement that with resources that, have that, uh, that are consistent with the vision of the Bonhoeffer Project. And so we have launched some new items uh, at this conference. want to encourage you to check those out if that's going to be helpful for you. But realize Here's the thing, let me, can I answer the curriculum question? If you don't have a plan and a vision, curriculum doesn't matter. Because you're plugging curriculum in to a system that's not sustainable, and when you're done with that curriculum, you're just gonna go look for the next curriculum. And it may not even match up what you desire to make as far as disciples go. So have vision, plan, curriculum fits into that plan. Okay, Sandy's gonna come up and we're gonna... Thank you, Stephen, and thanks to the Bonhoeffer Project. That was some um, very insightful episodes we just went through. One thing that stuck out to me in that episode was he said, we don't have to go looking for people to love. We just need to start loving the ones God has already given us. And that was just really powerful to me as I'm thinking through, how can I love my friends well? How can I love people that think differently than me well? And that really stood out to me. Maybe that encouraged you as well. Next up, we've got some more track sessions that we're going to be working through from last year's forum. So make sure to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already to stay up to date when we release those new episodes. All right, y'all. Enjoy the rest of your day. See ya.